All right, well, we're continuing in our series on relationships. Two weeks ago, um, we kind of introduced this topic um, and we talked about some unique um, challenges that we face in our relationships. The first one being that we're diverse. We're different, we're unique from each other. And yet um, God wants us to enjoy that. While there are inherent challenges in our diversity, it's, it's also something beautiful. God designed us all unique. We, we all reflect a different aspect of who he is. And so it's worth it in our relationships to celebrate and embrace our diversity. And, and often there are things that divide us. Like there might be some practical things that can divide us, but often we, we label people who are just different as somehow like an enemy or a problem. And God calls us to, to not only celebrate that, but to grow from our differences. We benefit from one another. And so the way the scripture describes this, we were in Romans 12, is that we're all members of a body, but we're all different parts. We're all different parts. And so we recognize the challenges in being different, but then we embrace that there's something God wants to do in that, okay? The second thing we talked about though, is that God is renewing us. We're being changed. And so there are aspects that we face in our relationships that have nothing to do with the beauty of diversity and they have everything to do with our brokenness. We're, we're sinful people who make mistakes. And so there's times where there's real problems in our relationships because we're broken. And then friends, even, even our relationships that are, that are outside of the body of Christ, we still face the same issue. If I'm a believer in Jesus, he's forgiven me and he loves me, but I am in process. The, Paul specifically in Romans 12 talks about how our minds are being renewed. I'm being changed. I'm in process. People who aren't walking with the Lord, they, they need that. They need that renewal. And so as people of God in our relationships, whether they're inside the church or outside the church, we're called to recognize like, hey, we all need some help. And so what we're talking about two weeks ago and now this morning is different pillars Core, core character traits that we wanna grow and develop in our lives. We wanna see the Holy Spirit grow and develop in our lives. We wanna cooperate with his work that enable us to navigate the diversity and the fact that we're all in process so we can have healthy relationships. Not perfect relationships, healthy relationships. So two weeks ago, we talked about the power of grace, growing in grace towards one another. Um, the power of humility, like you talk about a relationship killer, pride is a relationship killer. But humility is the exact opposite. It breathes new life into relationships if we choose to walk in humility. So we talked about grace, about humility, and about love. And yes, in general, love kind of hovers over all of it, but there's specific ways that we're called to put love into action, sacrificial love. Love is about willing the good of someone else. What, it, what is good for them? And then I wanna participate with that. And that's gonna mean sacrifices often. Um, and so now building on that, we've got four more pillars we're gonna talk about this morning. So we're primarily in Romans chapter 12, just continuing to unpack some things that Paul lays out there. We'll have scriptures on the screen. You can follow along in your Bible or on your phone app, uh, Bible app, or however you wanna follow along there. Um, but let me just pray for us one more time before we jump into this. And so... Lord, we thank you that um, you at least love us perfectly. 
God, we fall so short in our relationship with you and our relationship with one another. But God, we thank you that you are the perfect relater. God, that even in your very being, Lord, I still can't wrap my head around the Trinity, three in one. But God, even at your very core, you are a perfect relater. You are in such healthy relationship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that you're united in one. And so we're just in awe of that. And God, now we're just, we're just declaring we need you. Lord, these things that we're learning about, these aren't things we're supposed to do on our own. This is an invitation from you. These are really attributes of your character and they're things that you want to grow in us. And so God, we ask you for help this morning. Not only help us see this and understand it, but God, would you help us to grow in these areas? Lord, if there's one of these in particular, two of these in particular in our lives specifically that you wanna put your finger on to just encourage us to, hey, right there, I wanna grow you right there. God, we're open to that. Would you speak to our hearts this morning? May your word come alive. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. All right, so Romans 12. Um, Our first pillar this morning uh, in relationships is generosity, generosity. Romans chapter 12, verse 13. We're told to contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. See, generosity is both, it's, it's, it's a way of living, it's a way of viewing the world, um, and it gets really practical. It gets really practical. And so having a generous life, it's about sharing. It's about being a giver. The only reason we even have a chance at this is because God's a giver. He's generous. He's, he's lavished generously his love, his provision in our lives, And so he, at his core, he's a generous God who's a giver, and he invites us to become like him, to have have an attitude of generosity. And so it gets really practical here because we can contribute to the needs of others. And I love how he says, seek to show hospitality. See, this is about, at times, opening my wallet and helping out a brother, a sister, recognizing people in need. But it's, it's about having an open life, having an open home. And so when you think about generosity, I want you to just consider those two things, home and wallet. Like that's an easy way to remember that, home and wallet. God, is, is my life open? And see, as we're gonna see, this is how this played out in the church. It wasn't just like every now and then they wrote a check. There was a mindset in their relationships with each other. We get a glimpse of this in Acts chapter four, There's several places in Acts where we see this. So this isn't just one unique place, but let me read to you verse 32 and also verses 34 and 35 from Acts chapter four. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. Verse 34, there was not a needy person among them, For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. See, they were so involved in one another's lives, they were just aware of each other's needs. And they said, there's no way I'm gonna let my friend be over there suffering and in need. I'm gonna step up and do what I can. I'm gonna be a part of that. 
And see, the reason I said this is rooted in God's generosity, that he's a giver, is um, I can get really clingy with my money and my time when I, I feel like it's this scarce thing that I just have to hold on to, I don't have much of. But when I actually realize whatever I have, whether it's a large amount of money, a large amount of time, or little, either way, what I have is his. It's from him. I have what I have because of his generosity. And so I don't view it as my own. I view it as his. I'm a steward of what he's given me. I steward my finances. I steward my home. I steward my time. They're gifts from him. And so then if I view it that way, that this is on loan from him, that it enables me when I'm investing in the lives of other people, I can generously give my time to a brother or sister in need. I can give of my finances to someone in need. And so it enables me to do that because I'm involved and I'm aware. And see, this permeated the culture of the church. They were, they were encouraged to live this way. In fact, they were even led this way. Notice that on some level, they just knew and were aware of each other's needs. They just took care of one another. But there was an also a level where people were just like, hey, I don't know what all might come up, but God's laid it on my heart to give. And so I'm coming, I'm bringing it to the leadership and trusting they're gonna meet needs with this. It was just an entire culture of generosity, of giving. Um, I wanna give you, we had a, a cool recent example of this just here in our own body. A couple of weeks back, after Sunday morning, there's $1,000 in cash in the box back there. Anonymous, nobody said who it was. And they just said, give this where there's a need. And part of what was cool is immediately, Alex and I were like, I know exactly where that could go. I know exactly where there's a specific need in the body, a specific person we can bless. And like, we got to be the bearers of this gift, but also just say, I had nothing to do with that. God saw your need. Someone answered that call, didn't even know where it was gonna go. And a need was met. Generosity, it, it, it's, a, it's a mindset and it involves having our lives open. When my lives are open to other people, I'm aware of ways I can love them and be generous in my time, in my finances, whatever the case may be. Um, I wanna give you an example of this from Jesus' life. So, so kind of each example I give this morning, I'm gonna draw from the relationship that Jesus had with a family that lived in a town called Bethany. And so this is the family of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus good friends of Jesus. And so we're just gonna kind of look at his dynamics in that relationship. And we're gonna see kind of all of this sort of thing unfold. And so I want you to see a picture of generosity here. So in Luke chapter 10, verse 38, you know, Jesus and disciples are just traveling around as they do. And so we pick up the story in verse 38 says, now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. This is Bethany. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. You see the hospitality? She invited him in. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. So they opened their home and they invested their time. Mary was like, I'm gonna pause everything that's else that's going on and be present with you. You have my attention. Man, there are so many times the Lord convicts me just in my own home with my kids where I might be at home with them, 
but I ain't present with them. And they're just longing for that, that FaceTime, that care, that attention. See, even that is, is generosity, just going, you, you matter, you are of value, and I'm giving you my time, my attention. They open their home, they open their lives. Verse 40, but Martha was distracted with much serving. Now, I just wanna pause right here. I know in the, in the story, as it unfolds, you know, the Lord kind of uses this to kind of correct her and go, hey, spending time with me is the important thing here. But he wasn't telling her that serving was bad. <laughs> he just said, hey, I'm present with you right now. Let's spend time together. But I just want you to see like Martha was, was serving Jesus. She opened her home and she served him. Mary's sitting at his feet. And so she went up and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken from her. Friends, generosity in God's economy is not just practical. Well, the Bible tells me to tithe, so I guess I better give. It's personal. It's rooted in a love relationship. It's rooted in caring. Anytime we're being generous in our giving towards the Lord, it should be rooted in just our love relationship with him. Not because I have to, I get to. It's a joyful expression. And then that trickles into my horizontal relationships, our relationships with one another. Man, I love. And so I get to choose to invest my time, my attention, and maybe at times I give sacrificially, financially to bless someone in need. So that's generosity, core element of relationship. Second one, faithfulness. I love that we were singing about God's faithfulness this morning. Um, we are called to be faithful in our relationships. So Again, Romans chapter 12 here, verse 12 and also verse 15. We're told to rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. We're getting a description here of what it looks like to be a faithful friend. I'm joyful. When something awesome is happening in my friend's life, I celebrate with them. Listen, sometimes that's just as big of a sacrifice as mourning. It's hard to celebrate with someone when life is good at their house and life is kind of rough at my house. But being a faithful friend means I can rejoice when it's time to rejoice. But also to slow down. And when life's hard, when there's a season of tribulation, like we don't just disappear, we lean in. Hey, I might not have the answer to this. I might not understand what's going on, what the solution is, but I'm in it with you. You're in tears as you're going through this hard thing. Well, I'm right there with you, invested in your life. I'm crying with you. And see, the anchor point of this whole thing is this, this simple little phrase that holds all the power. Be constant in prayer. Be constant in prayer. Look, being a faithful friend is not about having the answers or being able to fix every problem in your friend's life. I don't even have all the answers in my own life. But part of being a faithful friend is going, we can be constant in prayer for one another. 
And so let's link arms. Let's pray. See, prayer is the key. And what I love about it is there's all these aspects of prayer that fit into these categories, like rejoice. Well, there's, there's, there's prayers for rejoicing, thanksgiving, praise. God does something awesome. We watch him do something faithful. Let's pause and celebrate it. One or two weeks ago, we've been praying for our friend, Chris Jerger. He'd been in the hospital, was struggling. He walks in the room. Alex notices, stops worship. We got to celebrate that. Chris just walked in the room. Let's praise God. And we did. And then we continued to worship because thanking God is a form of prayer. God, thank you for showing up and being faithful. You know, prayers of petition. Like when I'm in it with my brothers and sisters and I know they're going through a struggle, a hard time, there's something they're believing for. Let's ask God for help. God, this, we bring it to you. Listen, prayers of anguish. You know what Jesus was looking for in the garden of Gethsemane as he's facing the cross? Some other people that would just be in it with him. Over and over again, the disciples kept falling asleep as he's just pouring out in anguish before the Lord. God, this thing I'm facing, this thing I'm going through, I don't, I don't know if I have it. I don't know if I can do it. Can, is there any other way? And yet Jesus was able to say, not my will, but yours be done. We're not meant to anguish in prayer like that alone. That is a form of prayer. Expressing, God, this is hard. I'm struggling. I need you. Let's lean in. Anguish together in prayer. And trust. See, ultimately, when we're in it together like this, when we're faithful in our friendships, we're praying through the ups and downs of life together, we can, we can remind each other in the midst of all of it that our trust is anchored in him. He's our hope. And so we can instill hope in one another. I wanna give you um, an example of this. Actually, in my own life personally first, and then, and then we'll look at another example in Jesus' life. So Amy and I, um, we had, a, a, we had, we have a really good friend um, in our lives, Corey Krikak, good buddy of mine. And when Amy and I first got married, Corey's married now, but he was still single at the time. And he would just come over and do game nights with us all the time. And like, we just had a, a great friendship with Corey. We knew him for years. And so we started to have kids and stuff. And, and I knew Corey's parents, Dave and Sandy, you know, somewhat, they were members of our church body. They're closer to my parents' age. And um, just, you know, really kind, sweet people. Well, when our third daughter, Abby, was born, we didn't find out until the night she was born that she had Down syndrome. Totally unexpected. It, it threw us for a complete loop. And in the moment, we were kind of devastated. Like, Lord, what does this mean? What is this gonna look like? How's her health? What is our life gonna look like? What is her life gonna look like? We, we were just spun. Well, what I haven't told you about yet is that Corey had a sister named Sarah, who's Amy's age, and she has special needs. And we had always commented over the years, like the character that Corey had, and he would always give credit to growing up with his sister, that like there was something about that, that God like did something in him through that relationship. And friends, the night we found this out about our daughter, Abby, Dave and Sandy Krikak were at the hospital that night with us. And they weren't just there that night. I can tell you now, 15 years later, they are faithful friends who check on us, talk to us, spend time with us. They live in Nashville. 
When we moved out here six years ago, this didn't stop. They come out here like at least twice a year just to see us. They'll drive out here, get a hotel, just have dinner with us for two hours and love on us and pour us. They have invested in our lives. They have been a picture of this. Faithful friends who just said, we've walked that road, we know what it's like, and we're here for you. And they've been that in our lives. I don't know where we would be without, without them. Thank God for Dave and Sandy Creek Act. So we see a picture of this faithfulness um, in friendship when Lazarus gets sick and dies. So this is from John chapter 11. I wanna just see a few things here in this interaction. John 11, um, beginning in verse one. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. I just wanna pause here just to briefly state, do you notice there's already a deep connection of friendship? It's, it's making the connection like this is a family that has a relationship with Jesus. They, they love and care for one another. And so they invite Jesus into the difficulty they are facing based on love. We know you love our brother. We know you care about us. We're inviting you in. Friends, when it relates to faithfulness in our lives, we need to not only be the faithful friends who will show up, guys, the reason why all of these different pillars connect together, we need to be able to have the humility when we're in a season of difficulty to call our friends and invite them in. Recognize the gifts God has given us. This person loves me. I'm not meant to walk this road alone. Pick up the phone. I'm struggling. This is going on. I know you care for me. I just wanna invite you into this. And so Jesus is invited to come. Now, what unfolds over the next few verses is kind of just what Jesus does with his time here, the decision to go. And so beginning in verse four, when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the son of God may be glorified through it. Verse five, even though Jesus seems to be pausing and just saying, let's not overreact, it's gonna be okay. Verse five makes it really clear. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. And the disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. Are you going there again? Now, see, I don't know about you, but often when I've read this passage and this particular part of the passage, we just focus on like Jesus' delay do we ever stop to focus on what it was gonna cost him to go see his friends? It might cost him his life. This was a sacrificial decision that he made to be faithful and show up for his friends in need. And I love how even Jesus' disciples respond to this. Skipping down to verse 16. So Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with them. Like we kind of laugh at that, right? But like he meant it. He's stepping into something that could cost him his life. We're in. We're not gonna abandon him in this moment. We're in. Let's go together. I love that. At grace, cost to himself, despite the risks and the warnings, Jesus loved his friends and faithfully showed up to be there for him. 
See, a lot of these elements about being in healthy relationship, like in a sermon, you know, it sounds nice, right? Oh, don't you just wanna be a part of a relationship that's filled with grace, humility, love, generosity, faithfulness? Yeah, that's hard. It's hard to be faithful. It's hard to be generous. Sometimes it's hard to love because it, it can be costly. But we're called to this. And we're able to do it because of the costly, faithful love of God. Because Jesus could have risked his life by going to visit Lazarus and his sisters, but he did give his life to love every single one of us. Faithful, faithful. So he arrives. You probably know the story, but I just want you to see that what happens here as he interacts with both Martha and Mary, elements of his faithfulness. John 11 now, verses 21 through 26. First with Martha. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Now, Jesus is talking about himself, but we have a model here of how we can faithfully love each other. Jesus shows up, he's present, he listens to his friend, what she's verbalizing, what she's frustrated about, what she's hoping for. He listens to his friend and he encourages her with hope. He points to truth. God's faithful. He's gonna be there. There's hope. We can show up and listen well and we can, we can encourage each other with hope, with truth. Not beating each other up over the head with truth, but present, loving, listening, and reminding each other, let's hang in there. God's gonna do something. Now comes his interaction with Mary, verses 32 to 35. Now, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. He wept. He didn't just show up with good Bible answers. He spoke truth. He brought hope and encouragement, but he was present. He was present, weeping with those who weep, mourning with those who mourn. That's what faithfulness and friendship looks like. He shows up and, and see, it's this, it's, this, it's this thing where he's engaged and he's aware of what's going on with his friends and so then he can be faithful no matter what the situation calls for. Present, prayerful, encouraging. All right, number three. We've talked about generosity. We've talked about faithfulness. Um, now we're gonna talk about honor, honoring one another in relationships. Romans 12, 10. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. 
We're called to honor each other, lift each other up. Speak words of encouragement over one another. We're to honor people. Now, every single person is worthy of honor because we all have intrinsic value. We all do. Now, that may seem obvious, but so often we write people over off about opinions that they have, behaviors that they exhibit, that we forget first and foremost, just inherently as a person made in the image of God, they're worthy of honor. They're worthy of honor. Genesis 1, 27 and 28. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them and God blessed them. Before Adam and Eve had said a word, done anything, good, bad, or indifferent, just based on who they were, image bearers of God, he blessed them. And we know he goes on to say, this is very good. Everything he made, he said, it's good. When he finished making man, he said, very good. Honor, blessing. We're also called to honor people in specific moments or seasons. Like we honor people doing things that are worthy of honor. <laughs> we're to do that and we're to declare it. We get a picture of this when Paul's writing to Timothy in 1 Timothy 5, 17. He says, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. His point is people who are growing in character, they're growing in faithfulness. Acknowledge it, honor it. Listen, our culture is just filled with dishonor. We are quick to speak words of negativity. Look at that person, how they're missing it, how they're blowing it. Like we're great at tearing each other down. What would happen if we spent more time building one another up? If we learn to recognize and acknowledge that those things that are good and right and worthy. I'm so, I'm so grateful um, for something that happened pretty early in my life. When I was just stepping into some ministry stuff. I was just volunteering at a church and I still look back and go, I can't believe they invited us into this, but our pastor was putting together kind of this, um, this training thing for leaders in our church. And so we were pretty young still and we got invited into it. And so we were just going through this leadership training. We'd meet, you know, every couple of weeks or something at the church office. And, and one night, the training that we did was just simply called the chair of affirmation. And they took a chair and they set it in the room. Mom and dad, were y'all at that? Yeah, I thought maybe you were. Set, set this chair and there's a room of, you know, 15 of us, 12 of us, I, I don't know how many. And so our pastor was like, we're gonna have somebody come sit in this chair and we're all just gonna stop. And for the rest of our time together, we're gonna spend some time in prayer just thinking about that person. And if the Lord say something on, lays something on your heart, speak it, look them in the eye and share that thing with them. And so I think it was our worship pastor, Jonathan Allen, that was put in the chair. And just one by one, we would go and we'd look him in the eye and we just say things we were grateful for, that we saw in him, that we valued in him. If you wanna make a room full of people cry, <laughs> do that. It's powerful. It had an impact on him, but it had an impact on all of us. It created an atmosphere or a culture of honor. Listen, we hear so much negativity I mean, sometimes it's just even my own mind. I beat myself up. 
We need to hear words of affirmation and honor. We're called to it. We have a beautiful picture of this when Mary shows up to anoint Jesus' feet. It was just alluded to in the last story we were reading, but let's check this out. John's uh, Gospel, chapter 12, verses one through three. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Okay, do you, do you understand what this is? Like they've had dinner before at Mary and Martha's house. This is like, Jesus, we want to honor you with a dinner. Look what you did for our family. You raised Lazarus. Look at the impact you've had on our lives. We wanna honor you. And so they have this dinner. Martha served, of course. She's not corrected in this moment, right? She's serving him. And Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. That's what honor does. It fills the house with a beautiful fragrance. Think about all the elements of this. Bible scholars will estimate this was like a year's salary. A year's salary. She didn't just give him the cash. This wasn't just a year's salary. It was something precious that she would have had and guarded for her whole life. And she brought it. And not only did she give it to him, she poured it on his feet. And if that wasn't enough, she took her own hair and wiped his feet with her hair. Whoa. Think about that. I don't even want to think about that. Feet gross me out. She takes her own hair and wipes her feet. This is honor. She honors Jesus with herself. She honors Jesus with, with her wealth. She honors him. Some people begin to complain against her, which we'll talk about more in just a second. But notice how Jesus responds. Verses seven and eight. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. She was being criticized for the waste. But Jesus was saying like, this moment is precious and special and you will not rob it from her. In fact, Mark in his gospel records this story. And in Mark 14, I just wanna grab a couple of ways that Jesus describes what Mary has done here from verses six and eight and nine. You can read the whole thing later. But Jesus just said these things about her. She has done a beautiful thing to me. She has done what she could. She took what she had and honored him with it. And truly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. There's a mutual honoring. She honored him with this act, and he made sure to honor her in front of all. And he said, we will remember her forever. This story will be told. We're talking about it 2,000 years later because Jesus chose to honor her. And, and the disciples noticed it. Like they record this story later, stuck with them. Guys, mutually honoring relationships 
It's about building each other up based simply based on who we are. Just who we are as people, image bearers of God. And often based on what we've done, honoring people for being faithful, for loving well, for serving well. Just looking at somebody and going, man, I'm grateful that like you're a good dad. You're making a difference. You're present, you're engaged, you're pouring into your kids' lives. That changes things. And I wanna honor you for that. That's rare. That's rare. Let's, let's speak words of affirmation and honor. Okay, one last one. Y'all good? You with me for about five more minutes? Okay, one last one. This might feel like it, it, it's the same, but it's a little different, um, but they do go hand in hand. And that's blessing, blessing. Um, we're gonna pull from Romans 12 here, verse 14, and also verses 17 and 18. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. So we're building on the idea of honor here to bless people who oppose us. See, when we talk about healthy relationships, it's one thing to talk about like good close friendships that we have and then maybe we can even look outside the church and go, hey, I, I've got neighbors, I've got friends that maybe they aren't walking with the Lord, but like, man, we still have good, healthy relationships and I love them well. But man, what about the people that just like drive us crazy? Or we've driven them crazy. We may not use the word enemy, but I bet you there's some people that just kind of get under your skin. And God's saying we should choose honor even in those relationships. Bless and do not curse. I want you to see what unfolds here. Back to the story of Mary anointing Jesus. Um, some of the disciples complain and Judas specifically is like furious over what's happening. Verses four through six back in John 12. So Judas watches what happens with Mary um, in his mind wasting this expensive stuff. And so it says, Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples who was about to betray him said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief and having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. See, in Judas's mind, he was justifying his attitude. This is wasteful. That could have been used in a better way. What are you this is ridiculous what you're doing. We could take care of the poor with this. He justified his negative viewpoint towards her and what she was doing and spoke negatively about her. And he felt totally justified in it. This is what we do. We justify things in our own mind. We trust our own judgment far too easily. And he's blind to his own actual motivations. His real motivations is he's eyeing that money and going, man, if more of that was in the purse that I keep, there's a little more I could take out. He was actually worried about what he was gonna get out of things. But he chose cursing instead of blessing. But I want you to notice something. It wasn't just Judas doing this. Back to Mark's gospel, verses four and five. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor, and they scolded 
her. See, we highlight and notice Judas because he's the one that goes and betrays Jesus, but other disciples are doing the same thing. They're speaking curses instead of blessing. When when we tolerate and engage in and cooperate with complaining, gossip, slander, it tears down. And these guys are doing this and think about what that does. Think about how that further justifies in Judas's mind what he's doing. He's in an environment where we're all complaining. Oh, see, you see what I'm talking about. You get it. Yeah, this is messed up, isn't it? It encouraged Judas's broken way of living and thinking. And friends, the scripture tells us that this moment was the turning point that led him to betraying Jesus. He was motivated by this and it leads directly to his downfall. Verses 10 and 11 now in Mark 14. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the 12, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money and he sought an opportunity to betray him. It was his next action after this story. We have no idea when we choose cursing when we choose gossip, slander, complaining, tearing down, what's that, what that is doing to us as the person doing it and what it's doing to others around us. It destroys. But blessing, on the other hand, it changes things. It changes the culture. See, cursing is really just a form of self-justification. When I talked about pride-killing relationships before, Complaining and gossip kills relationships. It tears people down. But instead, we ought to choose to be at peace as much as depends upon us. This is hard to do. Blessing those who curse you, living at peace as much as it depends upon you. You ever tried living at peace with someone who wanted no peace with you? It's hard. You ever had someone goading you into like an argument? I mean, no spouses in the room can relate at all. We've never had one of those moments where we goaded the other person into an argument. It's hard to do to like be at peace as much as depends upon us, but we're called to it. Because see, when we choose blessing, what we're really doing is like, it's an ultimate act of trust. I'm I'm handing that other person, I'm handing that relationship over to the Lord and saying, God, I trust you with this person. I trust you with this situation, this circumstance. Because we don't know how God views it. There may, there may be times where he views it and goes, yeah, they're, they're messed up, but let me deal with them. But there's other times where, where we might unknowingly be fighting against him. Because in this story, Jesus goes, no, 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 I'm blessing Mary. I'm encouraging what she's doing. And so those disciples, including Jesus, were actually working counter to what God wanted to do. But they thought they were right. Boy, Christians, we need to get this. We think we judge rightly. So often we think we judge other people's behaviors, choices, decisions rightly. We don't see what's going on in people's hearts, what's going on in their minds. We don't recognize God's perspective on it. That's his kid. That's his son. That's his daughter. Let him deal with it. I'm not talking about like, 
okaying things that are just known wrong things. But what I am talking about is putting ourselves in the place of being the judge and jury. Hand them to the Lord, even our enemies. Bless them and do not curse. To wrap all this up, Romans 12, 19 through 21. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You know, that phrase, um, heaping burning coals on his head, that sounds to us, if we just read it at a glimpse, like, oh, that's how I get him back. But that's actually a phrase that's used in the Old Testament just regarding God's judgment. It's just another way of saying, let God be the judge. You treat people well. You choose blessing. You don't avenge yourself. Put people in God's hand and let him be the judge. Because, see, the truth is, I'm worthy of judgment. But it's by the love and the mercy of God that he's forgiven me. How, how far away I feel from my own uh, judgment, from my own sin when I'm judging someone else. I feel justified, I feel right, I feel secure. But if I was walking in that sense of humility of like, God, you've blessed me when I've spent much of my life cursing you, rejecting you. You've loved me, you've forgiven me. Yes, you're a God of justice. You dealt with that on the cross. And so your mercy is freely given. Why would I then wanna speak cursing on someone else? I'd rather speak blessing and point to the great love of God and be an example of that great love and watch what God will do with that person. He'll take care of it. He will. Let's choose blessing even when cursed. Let's choose peace and so overcome evil with it. I love that. Verse 21 again. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. See, when we cooperate with cursing, it's not just, hey, I'm getting back at David. I'm being harmed in the process. But when I choose blessing, I'm overcoming the evil that the enemy would love to get, get going and stirring in here. I put a stop to it. it stops here. They might be cursing, but I'm not gonna let that thing keep going. On my end, it's done. Choosing blessing. Now, hearing all of this, we're diverse people in need of renewal. We need these pillars of grace, humility, love, generosity, faithfulness, honor, and blessing. If we hear all of this and just think, well, time to roll my sleeves up and get to work. I got, I got a lot to do here. We're missing it what all of this should highlight to us is how much we need his help. God, I want to be this sort of person. I wanna be in these kinds of relationships. I would love for this culture to permeate my home, my friendships, my church community, my relationships with my neighbors and coworkers. God, I need your help. And let's invite him to grow us in this because he is renewing our minds. And so let me aim at these things that he tells me will lead me into godly, healthy relationships. 
and let's ask him for help. Amen? Amen. All right, God, thank you that you love us so well. Thank you for the gift of relationships, even though they're hard and they're difficult. God, what a gift that you've given us each other. And God, we have so many different types of relationships, but just thank you for all the various relationships we have in our lives, from just passing acquaintances to deep friendships to lifelong relationships like marriages or family. God, all of it, we're grateful for it. Lord, thank you for for the life you've given us and the people you've placed in our lives, all of us image bearers of you. God, would you help us to grow in this? We, we recognize we need your help. But God, you wouldn't invite us into this if we, couldn't, if we couldn't grow in this area. And so help us to be people who live generous lives. Help us to be people who are faithful in our relationships. God, may we be a part of creating a culture of honor and even blessing, even when it's difficult. God, we love you. We worship you. Help us grow in this stuff. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.